0: Hello, this is Jay Abraham, author of The Sticking Point Solution, Nine Ways to Move Your Business from Stagnation to Stunning Growth in Tough Economic Times. And you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the
1: quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdan. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I produce this podcast to help us both keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow faster by taking a sales-based approach to marketing. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. And if you're one of the many, many listeners who's left a review On Apple Podcasts, I want to drop a little something in the mail to thank you. Details after the interview. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Jay Abraham to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, The Sticking Point Solution, Nine Ways to Move Your Business from Stagnation to Stunning Growth in Tough Economic Times, published by Vanguard Press. As founder and CEO of the Abraham Group in Los Angeles, Jay has spent his entire career solving complex problems and fixing underperforming businesses. He has significantly increased the bottom lines of over 10,000 clients in more than 1,000 industries. Jay is also the author of Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got, 21 Ways You Can Outthink, Outperform, and Outearn the Competition. And interesting fact. Jay has the same birthday as Elvis Presley, and when he was growing up, he used to eavesdrop on the conversations his mother had with her friends, and they'd sit on the back porch sipping lemonade and chatting about their kids sometimes, and always when she was talking about Jay... It seemed his mother would press her lips together, shake her head and say, I declare anything you tell that boy goes in one ear and out the other. Jay, congratulations on the sticking point solution and welcome to the marketing book podcast.
0: (laughs) Thank you very, very much. It's been uh, a long and I look forward, Douglas, to the conversation.
1: And uh congratulations also on the Abraham Accords peace agreement uh, between uh, Israel and the United Arab Emirates I understand that was uh that was your doing
0: yeah it was a very tough negotiation Douglas uh, it's very hard but uh, we prevailed
1: yes well congratulations and. Uh, That, of course, was a joke for those folks listening in uh, that part of the world. But I should mention that you wrote the foreword to Philip Stutz's book, uh, Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell and the Truth About Political Strategies That Help Businesses Win. And not too long ago, Philip contacted me and said, hey, would you be interested in interviewing Jay Abraham? And I said, I thought he was pulling my leg. And I said, seriously? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll ask him. (laughs) And I thought... Wow, that is is really uh, something. And so I'm really honored to be able to uh, interview you. And just to give folks a little more context, I want to read uh, one thing from your book here. And that is where you say, why should you listen to me? And you write, the answer might sound brash, but facts are facts. As Gil Grissom says on CSI, the evidence tells the story. I have more than $7 billion of wealth creation documented for my business clients. I have 12,500 success stories on record. I have something like 3,000 prominent authors and experts who quote me in their published work. My approach is not that of a nouveau startup or self-proclaimed guru with an ideological theory that is unproven. On the contrary, I have engineered more successes for more businesses in more industries and in more countries entrepreneurial or fortune 500 than just about anyone else on the planet, even in bad times. I've done this for countless people who went from despair to soaring possibilities. And I want to do it for you too. And there was one other thing I just had to share for the, for the listener to understand the reality of what we're about to talk about. And you write, I have no formal secondary education, but I can tell you that most universities teach only theoretical marketing, not the sound, practical results-based kind I'm putting forth here. My education was earned in the trenches, on the front lines of real capitalism, dealing firsthand with entrepreneurs who didn't have the luxury of wasting time and money. They had to make every marketing activity a profit center. With a small amount of capital, they had to produce big results. And Jay, I also, in preparation for this interview, I watched the 2019 documentary about you, getting everything you can out of all you've got. The J. Abraham story, and at the end of the documentary, you talk about some midlife crisis, crises that you've had. I mean, we've all had them, uh, and but but you actually happen to mention Ferraris and Porsches and Bentleys and other things that have played played a role in those <laughs> midlife crises. And if we have time, I want to get back to that when uh, you talk about what you've learned about happiness uh, over the years. Sure. But let me ask you: Was I get the impression was Tony Robbins one of your clients? Yes.
0: Yeah, Tony, Damon John, Brian Tracy, Stephen M.R. Covey, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine, Success Magazine, Icy Hot, a few.
1: That's just amazing, and you taught uh, several of those folks there. Let me read just a little bit about the book. You say, the sticking point solution makes a unique promise. Anyone can show you how to succeed when all the indicators are up, but I'm going to show you how to succeed as never before when the national and global financial picture looks bleak like it is right now. And then you go on to say that the good news for you is that your competition is probably not reading the sticking point solution. In fact, in difficult economic times like these, it's very likely that your competitor is scurrying to stay afloat or is already out of business, leaving more of the market to you. The purpose of this book is to show you how to make sure the same thing doesn't happen to you. In fact, I'll go one step further and say that I want to teach you to embrace recessions and economic downturns and to learn how to profit handsomely from your business challenges and adversities and even from your competition's missteps. One such misstep is to pack up and leave when the going gets tough. But if you know how to be jic, how to direct your business or your department intelligently, how to grow and sustain high profit clients and how to capitalize on the shortcomings of your competitors, you'll quickly find that you can enjoy even more success and make even more money than you would during so-called boom times. If your business is stuck, I'll get you unstuck. And by the time you finish the sticking point solution, you'll approach tough economic times the same way that many prosperous business people do by saying, bring them on. You may not love the bad times more than the good ones, but you'll have the confidence that comes with being able to profit no matter what the economy or your competition is doing. You'll see options and opportunities that weren't evident in the past, and you'll have a highly specific action plan to reach stratospheric levels of growth. All of this while the commentators on the financial news networks are wringing their hands daily. So Jay Abraham, why do you love a bad economy?
0: That's a great question, Douglas. I was just before I I answer. I was thinking, geez, if you don't conduct reading rooms, you're really limiting your capability. You're a very, uh, very emphatic and a very, a very capable reader. I was thinking, wow, that sounds so good. Who wrote that?
1: Yeah, well, it is, and you know what? I got to tell you, I loved this book. It's the one of my favorite kind of books. It's it's at a very very practical. And it's at the intersection of marketing, sales, and it even got me thinking about my own business. So doggone it, Jay Abraham, you did the one thing, you got me doing the one thing I hate doing, and that's think. But <laughs> <laughs> what what is it about a bad economy that people like you and I guess Warren Buffett just love?
0: Well, I mean, uh, there's, there's many different uh, what is, but probably first is that the majority of entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs professionals they freeze they get paralyzed they get reactive they they uh they close up they they uh uh, stop really committing not just capital but intellectual capital and they just be reactive and when you're proactive and the world is going the other way you have outrageous absolute advantage so if you can understand and you can identify these sticking points, these levers that are screamingly available to you, you can just kick butt. And and we just basically thought, okay, what's wrong with this picture? Everyone's saying the world is going to hell in a handbag and it's horrible things going on in our world that are very tragic. But it does not mean that you as an entrepreneur or you as a professional or you as a CEO or even you as a startup have to, you know, accept playing part of that game. You can change the rules, play a different game, play to win, change the whole um, the whole direction that you focus on. I mean, you can you can do all kinds of cool things. We we're working on a thesis right now called Radical Rebound, and the premise is that basically, there's no reason you have to basically be linear and do what everybody else is doing, which is heading for <laughs> heading for shelter.
1: Yes, and Jay, what does this book have to do with the tin from the Wizard of Oz?
0: <laughs> well, is the Tin Man the one that wanted courage? Is that the one? That's the Lion. He wanted a heart, right?
1: Yes, he wanted a heart, but to get him started,
0: he needed to be lubricated.
1: Yeah, he well, and and when I say when you say lubricated people. He's not, he's not talking about cocktails. I know my audience. They know yes. me. But uh, uh, a few drops in the right places got him moving.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh, very true. But I think what you'll find, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of work. It's not referenced in the book and it's not for any other uh, publication, but we've done a lot of work on pivoting, power pivoting. And most people think they have to do massive shifts to get monumental results. It's quite the opposite. Very small adjustment shifts in everything from strategy you know business model uh utilization of time effort opportunity uh, uh it changes everything douglas very interesting but please i'm here to discuss anything you want about the book or about yeah. business or about life or about well, humor
1: i love that. <laughs> thank you um i'll be here all week folks uh no i uh, and two shows on saturday the um Uh, In The Wizard of Oz, it was just a few drops in the right place that got the 10-man going. And like you were just talking about, you don't have to completely overhaul everything. And this book helps people zero in on things. It helps them separate the signal from the the noise. And uh, I wanted to read what you say about a stuck business. And I want listeners to listen and see if this might be where you're working. You say a stuck business whether it's entrepreneurial in nature or a Fortune 500 company, is one that fails to grow predictably every year, every quarter, every day. If you're being carried along by the marketplace, then the moment the marketplace dries up, your business is going to dry up too because you're not in control of your destiny. In good times, stuck businesses don't even realize they're stuck. So what are some of the reasons why so many businesses – get stuck and, and stay, tend to stay stuck.
0: Well, in, uh, the, the premise of this book, Douglas, is there are nine universal uh, ones, and you can be stuck, and you can even be successfully stuck. You can have a business, believe it or not, Douglas, that is doing quite well by traditional, linear, incremental, judgmental standards, and think you're doing great when, in fact, the time, the effort, the opportunity, the access to the market— The marketing, everything could be producing uh, multiple upon multiples of the yield you're accepting. But the reason people get stuck is they don't step back and see, first of all, what's going on. And secondly, most people spend their whole life in one or two activities, fields, businesses, and they only have a context of reference of what they see as possible. I've been very blessed. I've been able to work in over 10,000 – give me – 1,000, I'm sorry, not 10,000, 1,000 industries, not businesses. And when you have that many broad different domains to evaluate and and explore, you see that there are hundreds of different ways to think, act, transact, different ways that strategies work, business models, uh, utilization of people, opportunity. And when you see the possibilities and the options and, and the alternative ways of doing everything, you realize most people get stuck unintentionally, undeservedly, and unknowingly uh, just because their limited understanding of alternative possibility.
1: Mm-hmm. This book really got me thinking, as I said earlier, but also thinking about my own business and realizing where some of the blind spots are that I just hadn't thought of. And in the book, there are nine sticking points uh, that you outline uh, getting in the way of every business success. And we can't go into all of them in the limited time we have, but I just wanted to share these with the listeners. So they, I think every single person listening is going to say, "Oh, oh, yeah, that's where it hurts. That's where it hurts. And you say some businesses are stuck losing out to the competition. Some are stuck not selling enough. Some are stuck with erratic business volume. Some are stuck failing to strategize. Some are stuck with costs eating up all the profits. Some are stuck still doing what's not working. Some are stuck being marginalized by the marketplace. And my favorite chapter was uh, some businesses are stuck with mediocre marketing. And the last one is about uh, a lot of businesses are stuck thinking they can do it all themselves. And it's very much about partnerships and uh, and and building relationships, uh, b- but share with us uh, what the Indiana Jones School of Business is. I had never heard of that, and I loved it.
0: Well, it's uh, if if you are old enough to have seen the first Indiana Jones movie, I think it was Raiders of the Lost uh, Ark. I got to remember what the title was. Uh, you will remember that there was a a segment where Indiana was being. Uh, chased down a a bazaar somewhere, uh, uh, I guess it would be in Europe, by a bunch of very, very uh, dangerous looking people. And he was trying to escape and he slipped into an alley and uh, all of a sudden it was a dead end alley. And at the end of this dead end, coming at him from the open part were these two very, very dangerous looking people. But at at the end, was a giant, about seven and a half feet tall, spinning two great big swords. And for a pensive moment, you thought Indy might become a goner. But if you'd looked at the fact that it was in the first quarter of the movie, it wouldn't probably happen or they would have had to stop it. But that notwithstanding, everyone is worried he's going to become a goner. And after about a minute, he takes out a gun and sort of says, you know, let's just stop this BS he would decided he wasn't going to play that game and he changed all the rules and it just sort of shifted. I think most people.
1: And they, he shot are, the guy.
0: Yeah. He killed him. And <laughs> the, the key is that we don't have to play the game. The world is playing. We don't have to play the game. Our competition is playing. We don't have to play the mindset game, the mental um, uh, model game, the, the competitive. We don't have to do any of those. We have the ability to change the game, the rules, the playing field, everything, anytime we want, as long as it's legal, ethical, moral. And, and legal is pretty cut and dried. Ethical and moral is subjective. But you've got a lot of latitude when you realize that you have a lot of alternative ways you can play the game.
1: Mm-hmm. And I will include, uh, if I'm able to, a link to a clip of that video on your episode's show notes your episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. But wait, listener, there's even more. (laughs) Jay has generously offered free PDFs of uh, this book, as well as the other book that I mentioned, getting everything you can out of all you've got and for free. So if you just go to this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com, you can download it. And uh, that is one generous offer. And I'm not sure an author's ever done that before, so uh, there you go, folks. There's no reason not to uh, not to read this. So, uh, Jay, you write that uh, most small and medium-sized company owners don't market at all, <laughs> and the few who do, you write, well, they tend to market very traditionally, which is a euphemistic way of saying ineffectually. <laughs> they neither monitor performance nor strive to improve marketing variables. That could give them this geometric boost. And one of my favorite quotes from the book, uh, I always thought I could put it on the homepage of my marketing agency's website, is when you change your marketing, you change your results. Can you talk about what you mean by the the geometric nature of marketing?
0: Sure. sure. And I think that probably one of the most powerful distinctions your your listeners should probably strive to make is the power of testing and the power of variability uh first of all you do something one way it'll produce x you do it a different way it'll produce 10x i've uh when you're talking about marketing marketing entails lots of things it can be your advertising it can be your messaging it can be your your proposition it can be the the media you're using it can be the call to action it can be uh what you do when you initiate uh the first contact, whether it's opt-in, whether it's live, whether it's phone, whether it's webinar. And and the way you do it can have a profound variable difference. There's about probably in a typical marketing uh, marketing spectrum, you might have, Douglas, 10, 15 factors, uh, impact or leverage points, each one of which can be changed to produce a an an increase of as much as 21 times, very rarely, but easily 15, 20, 30, 50, 100. We've changed a headline or the equivalent, and I'll explain or the equivalent in a minute, and gotten a five-time increase for the same either space, if it was a written, uh, the same email, if it was a subject line, the same same traffic, if it was signage, uh, the same... Uh, Visitors, if it was a trade show, the same people, if they were walking into a uh, retail facility, we've gotten, uh, we've changed price by adding three or four dollars or changing it to $300 more and doubled sometimes results. We've changed proof. Uh, or or credibility or testimonials, or added them and added another 30 percent. We've changed or added risk reversal, or intensified or fortified it and doubled results. We've changed the call to action and increased results. Each one of these is in is separate, not not aggregate. This (laughs) is separate. So, you've changed uh, the call to action and gotten 20 30 percent difference. We've added a bonus and sometimes double the results. We've done a summarization at the end of however you offered it to, to distill what the real essence benefit or advantage or payoff wise and gotten another. We've uh, we've added right at the point of sale an additional product service offering or a premium enhancement and sometimes increased not just the revenue by forty percent, but that forty percent could double or triple profit. I can go on and on. We've we've changed the way you position or program somebody to to be receptive and favorably predisposed towards repurchasing either things you already sell or alternative things you source and offer them and doubled or redoubled or redoubled again the lifetime value. And I can go on and on, but those are a few answers.
1: Yes, it's and you add them all together, and you start to get some of the exponential growth that you describe in the in the book and that chapter that I like so much about, you know, uh, marketing. Just companies generally have the best uh, best kind of marketing, and there could be like an ROI of a hundred times when an ROI of uh, a much smaller amount is good for them on pretty much you know everything else they're they're doing. Let's talk a little bit about sales because there's a lot of people in sales listening and I'm always encouraging marketers to spend more time with sales and better understand selling and sales and why, why people buy. And you write that if you're stuck not selling enough, change the way your sales force sells. Explain why everyone, every company should go from what you call traditional selling to consultative selling. Sure.
0: Well, traditional selling. I mean, there there's been over the years different methodology, and in the beginning of sales improvement, it was almost all technique, scripting, and and uh, really, uh, I maybe it's qualitative, but more manipulative. Over time, it became very clear that the most successful salespeople were consultants, advisors. They were leading. In a, in a qualitative way, the prospective buyer to solutions or opportunities or decisions that were always in their best interest. They were helping them identify and understand in specific quantitative, comparative, and, uh, and transactional ways what the implication of a product or service deployed in that person's life or business uh, would 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 represent both in achievement, positive or in negative reduction, or in enjoyment or in entertainment. And uh, most people do not understand how to do that. Also, most people who sell are more interested in talking than they are listening. The <laughs> art of listening is a very powerful. Uh, multiplier. They also don't know how to be genuinely interested. They don't know how to examine, explore, understand, appreciate, uh, recognize, articulate, and acknowledge how the other person sees life. They also don't understand that value is literally, it's trite, but it's in the eyes of the beholder. And what you might think is valuable they don't because no two people are having the same discussion, Douglas. So I might have a definition or uh, uh, a, a reference or a value I uh, impose or impute to something, and you might not even relate to it, or you may think it's inconsequential. And if we're not in alignment and we have you know, this, this torque uh, slippage, you know, uh, we're we're losing opportunity. Conversely, how you start a relationship can be all important. We've had we've tested 33 ways of starting a relationship uh, for divines and found one that, that tripled closures. So most people and most people don't they don't know what to test. They don't know how to test. They don't understand the power of testing, but I'll give you something that's far more fascinating. If you look at anybody that has a large sales organization, multiple salespeople, multiple distributors, multiple franchisees, multiple inside, outside, retail, phone, uh, independent, there's a lot of variability. They never look at, Douglas. For example, if you had, let's call it thirty people around the country in the field doing the same thing. Or if you one of thirty doing the same thing, people don't understand that the the companies, if you're the entrepreneur we're talking to, or if you're the salesperson I'm talking to, the company is implicitly expecting the salesman or woman to be omnipotent. They're assuming that man or woman can open accounts masterfully, can hold margin masterfully, can sell any and all products and all product combinations masterfully, can sell any, uh, anyone on an ongoing relationship, can sell any kind of industry or scenario. And that's totally, totally ludicrous. If you look at 30 people doing the same macro Concept You can identify five to 10 different functions within that that everyone's doing, and you can isolate the 80-20 rule. 20% are doing many times better or at least 40 or 50 times better. And if you find out of, let's say, 30 salespeople, uh, the six that are better at opening accounts or the six that are better at selling uh, combinations or the six that are better at holding margin or the six that are better and they're gonna be different six oftentimes or better at uh, conservation keeping people for a longer lifetime value and you figure what they do differently and you teach it to everybody your whole sales force will increase if you're not as good at any of those categories and you and you uh, interview and you and you study the ones that are better you're going to go and it's the same kind of thing if you have eight different categories that you are performing in and you find that you're only great at 3 of them and you're a little bit to a lot weaker in 5 and you can make yourself 10% better in one of the 5, 30% better in another, 5% better, that cumulative effect is not 20 or 30, it's it's hundreds of percent and that means if you're the entrepreneur, uh, sales explode and if you're the salesperson and you're either bonus or your commission uh, multiplies over and over again, but those are just a couple of answers.
1: And that actually touches on. Uh, you mentioned that the biggest problem for small to medium sized businesses can be summed up in three sentences. They're not strategic, and 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 people shouldn't be afraid of that word. You explain why. They're not analytical, so they're not measuring things. Like I mentioned earlier, they're not looking at it, and they're not systematic. <laughs> And you go into great detail explaining why the successful companies do that, and there's just not enough of it. One thing I wanted to move on to, though, was this idea of uh, customer lifetime value. When I'm talking to a prospective agency client, and it seems like when I talk about what's the lifetime value of your customers, it changes the... It changes the conversation and it's just not as many companies as I thought would thinking about that. And it came to mind when you wrote, so how can you know where your salespeople should concentrate their time? If you're looking at just the present moment, you're going to see only how much money they can put in the bank for you today. That's a case of leaving a whole pile of future profits on the table or what I like to call a positive iceberg. Can you explain more about this positive iceberg concept?
0: Well, yeah, if you think about it, the top is, a, is in, it, it, you, in any business, you either have a lot more back end or you could have a lot more back end. And everyone typically focuses on the moment, the first transaction. Uh, I have known for the three way to grow a business model you increase your number of buyers, you increase the size of the transaction you increase the frequency of purchase or the utility value frequency means if you have another a product or service that they buy ongoing they, they buy a longer period or more often and longer if you don't have anything else you find other complementary products or services that they would they would typically buy before during after even instead and you make those available you could double or redouble the aggregate profit that Asset called a client or customer or patient uh, or reader or subscriber or member is worth to you, but most people don't understand if they look at different. By the way, all all buyers aren't worth the same. Different ones buy different. Uh, long, long, they're they're more profitable initially. They're more profitable long term. There are ways to make them more profitable that most people don't know about. Little shifts can make somebody who normally buys. Uh, one time buy twice, somebody who buys three times by five, somebody that buys $50 by 75, uh, when you have nothing else to sell, find ways to make uh, another 100 or 200 or thousand dollars profit on them. And most people don't even understand that, but probably equally as important is uh, different ads, different sources, different uh, types or product service buyers, are worth different amounts. And most people, if they do allocate uh, any kind of a an acquisition amount, whether it's an advertising uh, percentage, whether it's a sales commission, they're either spending too much or spending too little, Douglas, because they don't understand the relative value of that account. I'll give you a great example. Uh, uh, somebody who gets a lot of business from word of mouth or referral, if they analyze it, they will almost always find that a referral-generated buyer buys quicker, negotiates less, buys more, buys more things each time, buys longer, refers more people, costs them nothing, but they don't really understand that they'll spend more time or effort on uh, a lead from outside, Facebook or cold calling, which has a much lower probability of all those things and converts a lot less and is a lot more effort. Also, I'll give you an example of a story. We had a client one time that sold uh, fluid transmission products. And that means PVC pipe that in I mean, manufacturing is used to carry... Chemicals and bottling syrup and in agricultural irrigation, and they wanted a breakthrough, and they never looked at what's called the lifetime value, the marginal net worth of a buyer. And I can get very, very sophisticated and see that different buyers are worth different amounts, and different sources of buyers are worth different amounts. So you can spend different amounts to acquire different ones because of their relative value. But we'll even talk about that for this discussion. They didn't have any idea what anybody was worth. And I gave them a formula to see what any time they got a new buyer, what a new buyer was worth in terms of profit, how many times in year one that new buyer worst case would buy, how many years worst case they could predict a new buyer buying the first time would stay and what the total profit would be. And then I wanted them to correlate that to what they were investing to acquire that. And they never looked at it. Turns out they were paying their salespeople 10% of profit as a commission, they didn't know it, but when they analyzed it, every time they brought in a new client, worst case, not best, it was worth two hundred dollars profit. every time they brought in a new client, they would buy five times a year at two hundred every time they bought a new client, they would on average stay three years so every first time two hundred dollars sale was worth five five times a year at two hundred that's a thousand times three years, that's 3000 in profit. And they were paying their salesperson 10%. So their incentive to bring new clients because they were looking at it just like the company in a, in a static transaction as just $200, so it was only worth $20 in their mind's eye of incentive. So they weren't generating a lot. I showed them that if they gave, as long as salespeople kept their normal account volume at what it had been averaging or better, so they didn't drop off there. every new account. First time they brought, they could have 100% of the profit. And the, the owners were shocked. They thought, why would I want to give away uh, uh, 90% of the $200, uh, the $180 to the salesperson? And I said, you're not giving it away. Every time, <laughs> every time you invest $180, you never would have had, you're going to get 90% of the remaining $2,800 in profit you will absolutely have. And I said, go back and it's not smoke and mirrors. They finally did it and their business exploded five times because now the salespeople were were literally 10 times more motivated to open a new account. Mm. That's an example. That's an example. It's an example.
1: And there's a lot more ice under the surface of the water than what you see on the top. So let's talk about what I think is the most important word of marketing and sales, and that's empathy. So whenever I read the word empathy in a book, I get excited. And you write that empathy is one of your most valuable tools when the time comes to market your product, products or services, because it allows you to persuade your clients with the maximum impact and efficiency. So can you explain why you argue that empathy is the cornerstone? of any effective business strategy.
0: Sure. Uh, this goes to something I I uh, have long believed in it's called the strategy of preeminence. And it's a very, very powerful philosophical strategy, Douglas, or strategic philosophy. And it drives everything, culture, uh, sales approach, uh, advertising, interaction. But it, it, it has a lot of components. You want to be seen as the only uh, viable choice somebody can make the, the most trusted advisor. But it has a very profound shift in, in, uh, in where, you, where your mind is, is targeting. And instead of falling in love with your company or your industry uh, or your product or service, you fall in love with the clients you serve. And you can't fall in love with them if you don't really take the time to examine, appreciate, understand, respect. Uh, recognize what it's like to be in their shoes, what their values are, what their 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 life is like vis-a-vis whatever your product or services role is uh, going to serve in it, what that product or service when and after purchase uh, is going to mean to them. Uh, for example, if you were selling a computer, it wouldn't be very exciting, linear, because you're selling a basically a commodity. But if you think about that computer in a child's uh, hands right now during COVID, when they're um, when they're working at home, it gives them it, it 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 expands their whole world. It gives them access. It gives them the ability to you know to learn. It gives them all these things. But you have to be able to really shift your understanding and appreciation. And you have to look at every time you interact with a client, your buyer, your prospect your job is to make them better off because you are in their life and better off is can be everything from just listening to to sharing another piece of the puzzle to you know to uh, smiling but it's things that most people are too busy doing and i talked earlier about the ability to listen the ability to hear the ability to play back that you heard the ability to be genuinely interested the ability to respect other people in a way that is much different than a typical organization manifests. I mean, it goes on and on. But when you're able to do that, that is a very powerful, intangible lever that multiplies outcome uh, uh, unimaginably.
1: And you have uh, lots and lots of examples of why that is the the common thread through so much of Success in marketing and sales and getting unstuck and growing a business it 's uh, understanding your customers, really understanding them and but let 's move on the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, my favorite chapter, chapter nine Are you stuck with mediocre marketing <laughs> i just there were similar things in here where I wrote off to the side, "Carve this in stone it was It was uh, so helpful, and I wanted to read just the beginning. You say most entrepreneurs fail to understand that the difference between mediocrity and making millions has more to do with marketing than any other single business factor. Marketing has a geometric capability to propel a business upward, and yet it's often at the bottom of a business's priority list. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, I don't think most small, medium entrepreneurs who have been uh, let's call it vacuum packed, meaning they've been in a real uh, linear world and they got into their business literally, uh, you know, to either have lifestyle or to escape uh, uh, being under somebody's thumb or because they basically got terminated somewhere else. Uh, they really understand how powerful marketing is and that everything is driven by marketing, relevancy, uh, things like that. Uh it's, it's really intriguing. I had a thought and I'm having an ADD moment. So hopefully that thought will come back, Douglas. But Welcome it, to my it,
1: world, Jay Abraham.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really a pain when you brain goes rogue on you. But uh, what I was going to say was, uh, if you think about before uh, the, the internet took over when there were really bookstores, if you would go into a bookstore, you would see a row or two rows on psychology and tons of rows on cooking. And then in the back, against one panel of the wall might be, you know, three or four feet on business, marketing, sales, management, uh, high-performance type, uh, uh, expert type uh, training or, or ed- education. And, and the reason it was so modest is there's only a very small number of entrepreneurs that ever really recognize the correlation, and that makes the understanding of marketing's role much, much, sadder because most entrepreneurs don't understand it. They just throw a lot of mud on the wall. They'll do something one way, or the other. They don't understand the, the psychology, the construct, the the science, the, the 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 methodologies available. They don't understand performance enhancement. They don't understand that uh, that marketing should be the ultimate profit center. That marketing is a way to. To elevate them above the maddening crowd, it's a way of to, to identify what they stand for, who they stand for, what they, why they stand for it, and what standing for people mean. It's a way that you educate people to appreciate your ability to solve a problem they may or may not have really crystallized. It's how you basically find them, attract them, convert them, sustain them, and and if you don't understand it, which most people don't. Then you're devastated in a downward economy because you're totally reactive. And most of, I mean, uh, the, the example that's probably most uh, well, it also goes towards something I can't remember if I put it in the book or not. But it's the difference between an entrepreneur and a proprietor. A proprietor is somebody who just starts a business to capitalize on um, on sort of the jet stream. A lot of you know, a lot of it can be somebody just throws a a deli. In an area, there's a lot of fast food, not because the deli is unique or special or the experience is great or the food is profound. It's just that they see a lot of people buying fast food and they're trying to capitalize and take oxygen away. An entrepreneur, and this goes towards understanding marketing, is someone who has a, a concrete understanding of value creation, of of positioning, uh, as, a, a, a creation of of uh, of really personifying and, and uh, projecting uh, uh, preemptive advantage that their company represents, understands how to look at the benefits, the advantages, the outcomes their company pr- uh, provides. And, and these are all derivatives of marketing, but you've got, as I said earlier in this discussion, eight or 10, maybe 15 impact points that marketing gives you the power to harness and harvest if you understand it. And most small, medium entrepreneurs don't even market. They just basically, you know, I mean, it's hilarious. I do a uh, when it when it's uh, when we're allowed to go into groups and and uh, present. I do big organizations, big groups, and I do a very interesting immediate discussion on. And this is just going to show you marketing and non-marketing on businesses that are heavily or fully driven by word of mouth or referrals. I'll have everybody whose business Douglas gets between 20 and a hundred percent of their business from referrals or word of mouth stand up. I'll go randomly around the room and ask them percentage and dollars, and it'll be mind boggling. 60% a billion dollars, a hundred percent, 300,000, uh, 30% $2 million. And then I'll say only stay standing. If you have in place at least one, Formalized systematized referral marketing strategy that you apply to constantly 95% sit down. Then I'll say two strategies 95% of the 5% sit down. Three, they all sit down. And I'll say, well, but a referral generated buyer, as I said, they buy quicker, they negotiate less, on and on and on, they cost nothing. Whereas when you go to Facebook or or a platform or a radio, it's outer peripheral trust. You have to work your, your butt off to go from skeptical trust to reasonable trust to maybe trust to almost committal trust to committed trust that's still apprehensive to post-purchase trust, whereas a referral-generated person already has got all that trust. And I'm just giving you a few of the de- denominators. I don't know if that helps.
1: Oh, it does. Jay, we've really only been able to scratch the surface, but let me ask you, if if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: It would be that any entrepreneur aspiring or operating at probably under 25 million, maybe under 50 million, or any salesperson that's working for one, the, the probability normally that you're stuck is... About ninety-five percent in at least one, if not multiple, or all of the nine areas. Number two, in a downward, uh, really impaired economy, it's uh, over a hundred percent because everyone is reactive, and that means you're gonna, you're going to basically, you're going to, you're going to recoil, not recoil, you're going to retreat, you're going to basically head for the hills, you're going to cut off whatever uh, formalize. Everything you're doing, money, spending, advertising, you're going to cut corners instead of understanding how to utilize uh, what I call it that gap to really catapult your business. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, you know, everybody should lo- know that. And you should be willing to transcend, you know, the the, the calcified thinking that you're not even aware you have fallen into and break free of it. Because if you get unstuck, any one of the areas you get unstuck is going to produce a meaningful improvement. Your bottom line, if you get unstuck in multiple areas, your business can honest to goodness thrive when everyone else is struggling to even survive
1: absolutely and even some of that calcified thinking was uh existing in this host's head <laughs> as i was reading that like i said earlier and i thought gosh you know what i was starting to write down so many ideas for the future of our business and i also this is such a great time i see more and more companies who aren't completely in the fetal position who are reading everything they're doing so it's uh, it's terrific, and there's no reason not to read it because Jay is giving you the book. And as a matter of fact, this is a great book, not just for marketers and salespeople to read, but it's a great one to share with your management, your CEO, or the, the entrepreneur you're, you're working for. Jay, what is one thing a listener could do today, just one, to put in action one of the many ideas from your book? Jeez. <laughs>
0: okay, well, I think it probably... If you one of the really interesting things that is a real problem with a lot of entrepreneurs is trying to do too many things themselves and yes. being way outside their comfort I think if you try to do a chronology of what your time is consumed doing when you realize that nobody has more than 24/7 how you use time opportunity cost Aspect or or ac- aspect to the to or access to the market. When you look at how you've been spending your time, and if you look at all the things you do versus where high yield comes from, you will be almost you'll be shocked if not embarrassed.
1: Absolutely, and I, it's, uh, that's one part we didn't even get to talk about here. But it talked about how uh, you know you, the highest and best use of your of your time. It's it's great advice. Looking back, what books have most inspired your work and career, Jay? Uh,
0: I was very impacted by books on measurable marketing, books by someone named Claude Hopkins, books by by, uh, John Caples, books by Eugene Schwartz, books by David Ogilvy. books by Victor Schwab, people who had, in, in an era when you didn't have the benefit of graphic imagery, of of uh, high-tech when you had to understand with a a vengeance how the mind-eye of the target audience worked and how to measure and how variation uh, could transform the performance of a business. These people were seminal thinkers, and most of their discoveries have direct application today, and those really forged me.
1: And I would argue that's why you've been so successful because you were into measurement before it was really cool. (laughs) And
0: I've read, I think...
1: Claude Hopkins wrote books like 100 years ago, and I, I, uh, yeah, you're right, yeah, scientific and, and advertising, and I think was one of them.
0: Touche! Good for you that you yeah. understand that. Yeah, and most people would benefit if they read that book about 50 times today.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you have heard of or recommend that you look forward to to seeing? Uh,
0: there are many, but uh, the one that I think the ones are just the the author that I think everybody I'm very into soft skills now that most people don't look at the yield on Uh, one of my friends who I just admire is Stephen M. R. Covey and he's the son of Stephen R. Covey who did seven habits and Stephen M. R. is the world expert on business trust building and he's done research that most people don't realize how weak their trust coefficient is with both the marketplace prospects buyers Team members, vendors, and when you really harness absolute trust, it has upwards to a three hundred percent impact on the results. Three hundred percent more sales, three hundred percent more uh, loyalty, and and effort expended by your team members. Three hundred percent more collaboration with your uh, vendors, and if you really, really study things like that, he's got. Uh, I think the first book is the Speed of Trust. The second book is. Uh, smart trust or something. I can't remember what the second book is, but I think soft skills are really a, an overlooked area of high performance.
1: Oh, well, I will definitely include link to, uh, information on all of those books, uh, all the people you've talked about, as well as um, Stephen M.R. Covey. That looks very, very interesting. Uh, if we still have time, I wanted to ask you the one question. What was it you learned about happiness after all the accomplishments and 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 things you've done.
0: Well, the best thing I can say is happiness is not. Uh, it's not something that is created internal. It's created external. It's your ability to really appreciate everything. Every human being has relevance. Every experience has relevance. You know, slowing down and and understanding your environment, being full gratitude, humanity, humility. Having passion, purpose, and a sense of possibility. If you can integrate some of those factors into your life, it changes everything.
1: Absolutely. And that's at the end of that, uh, the documentary. And I would encourage everyone to, to watch that. And at marketingbookpodcast.com, as I said before, we're going to include links to everything linkable to your site and your uh, your uh, the two books that you're offering to the listeners. And for you, if you're listening to your smartphone on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is "The Sticking Point Solution: Nine Ways to Move Your Business from Stagnation to Stunning Growth in Tough Economic Times." The author is Jay Abraham. Jay, thank you so much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Douglas, it's my pleasure. It was a really, it was a good interview. You're very, you're very uh, immersed in it, and you're a very interesting person. I'm enjoying listening to you. Thank you.
1: And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who've left an iTunes review, I would like to return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I will drop it in the mail to you. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on this show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know, of For whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.